0: Welcome to episode 447 with my guest, Daniel Evans Nakamura. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the mental illness happy hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is MetalPod.com. MetalPod, also the social media handles. You can follow me slash the show. Um, I have been <clears throat> doing a med change lately. My psychiatrist thinks that one of the reasons I might be having a little bit of cognition uh slowing, I guess you could call it. Is uh, Lamictal one of the one of the meds that I take? So we're trying to wean me off it, and it is it is not fun weaning yourself off of meds. And at the same time, I am also trying ketamine for depression, and I'll be doing an episode about that. I've done two treatments so far, and I'm not really sure what to make of it yet. I think six sessions is kind of what uh, they use for the for the baseline to determine if it's effective for you or not. But I, I hate this in between time when I'm just waiting for something to change, and and I'm completely powerless over the fact that I feel like a ghost. I I feel like I'm on about 60% power and I'm not necessarily sad or any particular emotion if any if anything it's kind of a lack of feeling things. I feel like I'm just an extra in the movie of my life and I've been through this many many times before and that's one of the nice things about having had experience and dealing with <clears throat> Treatment resistant depression and mental illness and trauma and addiction and all that other stuff is I know things will change, but the waiting, uh, the waiting, it, it feels like, like you've just pulled off the highway and the car is going on without you and you've got to walk to the next stop and you know, you're going to get there. But it just you feel like you're missing out. I feel like i'm I'm missing out on life because everything feels like an effort and I'm not enjoying my usual hobbies, but you know everybody's got something everybody's got something. I guess this is mine. <laughs> this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself the emotional equivalent of a clogged toilet with no plunger in sight. And she describes her depression as, I am a factory for nothingness. Man, when I read that one this morning, I was like, you are my new best friend because you just described exactly how I am feeling lately. June describes her anorexia Anorexia feels like the friend I am never good enough for. I keep making plans, but she's always canceling on me last minute for someone better. And about her PTSD. She writes, PTSD from sexual trauma feels like that one red sock that makes the entire load of white laundry turn pink. Oh, that's so good. So good. Uh... Our sponsor for today is betterhelp.com. If you guys have never tried online therapy, I'm a big believer in it and I've been using them for about 2 years now. And I talk about them all the time, talk about them every week. But uh there's so many weeks when I don't want to do therapy and it's kind of like the nights when I don't feel like going to my support group and every single time when the session is over or the meeting is over, I'm always glad I did. And that, that I think, is one of the great benefits of therapy. Having an appointment to do something is so important. Because if I were left to my own devices to only do inner work when I felt like it, I think I'd be fucked. I think I would definitely be fucked. And I love not having to leave my house to do therapy. It's really nice doing it online. So uh, if you want to know more, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor that they think is a good match for you, they will pair you with one. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. And then this is, a, uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by... A woman who calls herself a momka and she writes on the hour drive to the latest psych ward my son is in the theme music from the twilight zone is on repeat my anxiety and dread magnifies with every turn and every footstep down the winding halls and then parentheses why are the psych wards always so far away from the entrance i watch my finger go towards the quote doorbell on the wall that will tell my son's new caretaker that i am here to see him the few seconds you wait are an eternity my thoughts race with fear how will he look what will he say is this a hate you or love you or who are you visit the employee who opens the locked door always gives you the same look of suspicion as if i am there for nefarious purposes really i wait in the hallway by the nurse's office as they go to find my son a patient slowly makes her way towards me spinning in circles chubby hair in a ponytail The prerequisite, stretchy pants and fluffy slippers. I nod and say hello, careful to not make too much eye contact, just enough to not seem like a threat. I've done this before. I know the drill. I see my son coming down the hallway, shuffling his feet in his latest sedation. My anxiety slides down a notch. Shuffling feet means no violence. The young lady spins herself in small circles closer and closer to me. I don't sense a threat from her. My son is getting closer now and slowly lifts his head up. The young lady gets as close to me as she knows she can without the nurses yelling. As my son lifts his head higher, we make eye contact and he smiles his old familiar smile. The young lady touches my arm. I look down at her and she says, I'm a ballerina. I say, well, yes, yes, you are. Nobody's Nobody's cool and and everyone's everyone's scared scared. and And we're we're just just all in in this together. together. There was no joy Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks Numbing out Physically I wish that I was a girl
1: Panic attacks were so violent Rudderless They were mistaken for seizures Shot coke in my neck
0: The TV was talking to me
1: Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared
0: He said, there's going to be a sack of hunger, fake.
1: Nothing's real
0: And I'm going to die
1: Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal Just
0: beyond broken I'm out You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with I'm gonna stop it Fucking someone else It's okay to be I'm here with Daniel Evans Nakamura and, uh, we had tried recording before and in the (laughs) last two minutes, as we're wrapping up, GarageBand crashed. Of course. And the whole thing, uh, evaporated. So here we are again. Um, but in a good way, you feel like, uh, our previous discussion, you've uh, maybe kind of, uh, Got a little more focus, I think. A little more focus in your mind of, of what you would like to talk about. One of the things that uh, you are um, African-American, uh, also with some Japanese uh, yeah. ancestry. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. You were bullied as a kid. Yeah. and Mexican
1: um, Salvadoran, too. Don't want to pull that out. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, you would like to talk about um, intra... Uh, what would you, what'd you
1: call it? I in- call it intra-race.
0: like Intra-race, racism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, racism between people yeah. within the same race because it was
1: a small part of a small but like sort of notable part of like my coming of age and that had a lot to do with like how i kind of formed my identity and how i kind of still like see myself today so okay. i think it's
0: notable but good good so uh you are 19 21 21 boy you aged a lot since we recorded last yeah, it's week it's been it's been a lot uh, you are a college student getting ready to graduate. Well, uh, Daniel yes. and I met, I was a uh, part of a mental health conference up at uh, UC Berkeley last year and, uh, we just struck up a conversation and, uh, decided, uh, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's record something. So, um, talk about the bullying.
1: Yeah. So, um, that I can go into just cause it's a topic that I don't think is covered a lot is that, um, it's interesting to talk about this with not a lot of context. But I guess to add a little bit, um, yeah. I, yeah, I said black, I'd say a pure black, um, have this like racial identity that's mixed, but mostly I- identifying as black. And, and I, I, I
0: don't imagine many people ever look at you and say, uh, are you part Asian?
1: Yeah. No. Okay. Not. Not really. Okay. It's uh, certainly d- not police officers. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's fun to watch people's eyebrows raise. They like read my name on something and then look at me. Right. Um. No. But, uh, I guess one thing that, in addition to the identity issues that I was having at home with like the way my parents were kind of raising me, kind of the mixed signals of what I should be doing or like how I should be presenting myself. Um A lot of what made that kind of difficult in the backdrop was just how I was, like, bullied in middle school. And middle school is always this horrible time for, like, a lot of people. Um If you liked middle school, you were part of the problem, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, so
0: who has that line in it? Oh, uh, uh, Murray Valeriano uh, right. did that in his act. Yeah, if you enjoyed high school, you were the reason the rest of us hated it. <laughs> yeah, that's probably
1: what I was paraphrasing. But yeah. I think the worst aspect of it, like besides the, like, average bullying and the general awkwardness of being an adolescent at that time, was um, I was bussed into the school I was going to, and a lot of the, like, students in my neighborhood were other black kids. And I had, like, I was really shy. I was, like, kind of really geeky. My hobbies were, like, building computers and video games and, like, all things, and, like, spending a lot of time on the internet researching news and politics, all things that, like, helped help me later on in life, but not things that were very, I guess, supported or like seen nicely it's by a, my peers. It's that a sense. kick me sign in middle school. Pretty much. Tip. All I needed yeah. were the glasses, which yes. I had. And hey, the, like, did
0: you guys notice on PolitiFact
1: last <laughs> night, punch, the, kick? The greatest way to make friends as a seventh grader is to reference something you were watching on Rachel Maddow's show the other night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but...
0: So the makeup of your neighborhood was mostly black or the school you were bused to was mostly black?
1: Um, Makeup of my neighborhood was like black, um, Latino, Latina, um, kind of like that more ethnic mix. I lived in a pretty diverse neighborhood, part of um, Long Beach and like a suburb of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Um, My school skewed a lot more white, I would say, but definitely also like a good mix. Um, My just went there because my parents knew the school district and they knew that i'd probably get like the better education at that middle school Mm -hmm. um they're right but of course in that goes like i'm as the saying goes in these types of conversations you're never like you're too black for the white kids and not black enough for the black kids
0: yeah and I've i've heard that many times from from guests of mine
1: yeah and so like with the white kids, it was, like, subtle racial jokes. And, like, I was very self-aware of, like, race. And it's such an, like, interesting thing to me now that I didn't mind that. But looking back, a lot of that was definitely, like, uncalled for. But I kind of just maybe didn't care or shrugged it off in the interest of fitting in. Mm. <laughs> or, like, saying, okay, joke about it, but at least we're, like, eating lunch together and you're not punching me. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: what do you remember thinking or feeling When they would uh, make a joke that felt hurtful to you, or in bad taste, or... I mean, how how, how would you label?
1: It was never directed at me, but I would just say, like, oh, that's a stereotype based on information that's, like, very prejudiced and, like, something that you clearly have never lived through. I don't remember the jokes specifically, but I definitely remember the feelings, and I guess... To which that kid said, whatever. Pretty much, right? I mean, it's seventh grade, if it's not, like... The very beginnings of discovering internet porn and like right. video games. It's not going to really get in. But yeah, I just always felt like I guess it's just like the cost of doing business, I suppose, socially yeah. and like coping. And I had this it's middle school. You, you want to be different, but not too different. Different enough to like attract attention and friends, but not so different that you're ridiculed. And you never really strike that balance. And so when I wow, could. What you, a
0: great way of putting it.
1: Yeah. And when you, whatever I played, whatever differences I had to my advantage, um, I like had this sort of like English accent as a carryover from when I had like lived in the UK for a little while. Um, like that was cool. Americans love funny talk, with mm-hmm. like English accents and stuff. But then from the white, from the black kids, they would criticize me because I was talking too white or like I pronounced words mm-hmm. like as you would in a dictionary. But they just said like you speak like white people. And that's something I think a lot of like certain black kids hear a lot, and it's it's just this mixed signal because you don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. You hear so much said about like demonizing white people, sometimes rightfully so, but other times it's like something you want to aspire to be. Um, there's this whole thing about your skin color, whether you're you're lighter skin so you get treated better, or you're darker skin, so like you're more Like ghetto, even though there's no correlation between that, but you're trying to explain social dynamics and like all of those things to middle schoolers, so no nuance is going to get through.
0: So, so it's like you're, you're, you know, you're being told uh, from the adults that, uh, you know, it's stereotypes are bad, and yet you need to accept the reality of those to navigate the reality of your school life.
1: Yeah, and that would. There's a lot of identity crisis within that, but I think a lot of people, especially like mixed people, will relate to playing up one side of your mix more in a certain situation mm-hmm. so if I'm around the black kids, I know the way to like add some like bass to my voice or like mm-hmm. maybe forget a couple contractions in a sentence or something mm-hmm. right um not to speak disparagingly, just like how it was, and then when and you're- to some degree, I think. People,
0: uh, Caucasian people, do that. I notice, like, when I'm around uh, people that are, you know, for lack of a better word, working class, um, I'll probably color my language a little bit, uh, geared that way. And if I'm, you know, in a different,
1: it's how we as social creatures really like get on. The simplest example is the way your voice intonates when you're on the phone with maybe like a manager or someone you're interviewing with, and how you go in this whole professional tone. Maybe it's a little lighter or something. Um yeah, it's like that. Would you
0: have any particular thoughts about yourself when you would be conscious of, of uh you uh urbanizing it or streeting it up or whatever right. the fuck you would call it?
1: Um absolutely. That just felt like totally fake. Yeah. Because it wasn't me. And that didn't really reinforce things because no matter where I was, for a long time until maybe I turned like 18 and got like kicked out of my house. Um I never felt like I could be 100% myself anywhere. Wherever I was, there was always, depending on the per- people I was around or however they viewed things, there's some part of me that I couldn't show or else I would be ostracized for it or I'd be called out for it. It would be brought up in a way where it's like, it's not something I want to talk about or discuss necessarily, but if I do this, then it will be, become a discussion point. So when you would be around
0: the white kids, what, how did you change or emphasize things?
1: I mean, I felt more natural around the white kids guess, just because of, I guess, my socioeconomic status just always ended up putting me around for better or worse white kids. And mm-hmm. so, and living in England, that's a lot of what you get. Okay. And so, just by the nature of that's what I had been exposed to more, that was more my comfort zone. But at the same time, there's a point where being a person of color is, like, sort of performative around them because, not so much anymore, but at a younger age, I was definitely expected to, like, play up certain stereotypes, like... For laughs or just, uh... Sometimes for laughs, but sometimes people were, like, actually serious. Like, oh, you really don't like fried chicken that much or, like, food that... Or like, really? Yeah, or, like, ribs or, like, soul food? It's, like, not really. It's really, like, greasy and salty. I don't really, like, take care for it too much. Um, especially when I was going through my more, like, anorexic period. So, that was fun. But uh-huh. are, are like, pl- well, I guess I had this one coming. There's apparently a stereotype that black people play bass. And I, I just happen to play bass among 10 other instruments. So <laughs> that was always funny. Anytime there's a bass player needed, it's like, oh, Dan, of course. Yeah. And what is your major again? Um, at Berkeley, I'm majoring in political economy and I'm minoring in public policy. Okay. Um, so going back to
0: uh, feeling not black enough around groups of black people, not white enough around groups of white people... Um, that was m- mostly the bullying centered
1: around that. Yeah, and it was definitely something where now I have the I have the language to be able to say that that was a lot of that was just micro pretty much. Just everyday little things were like, oh, my race did totally not have to be a part of this, but it is. Or my upbringing or the way I speak totally didn't have to be a part of this conversation, but now it is. Um, just all these little moments that together just brought me down to the point where when I came home, I was just exhausted from being. And then, of course, I came home to like a really kind of toxic environment all the time. And Des- d- Describe that. So, home environment. My parents, uh, they live together. They are currently, I guess, in a legal status sense, married. Um, I have an older brother who is 17, almost 18 years older than me. So, when I was born, he was about to go out to college. So, we were not for lack of trying never close but there's just I now realize there's a certain amount there's a certain level that it's kind of hard to get close to a person when there's that much of an age difference really hard all our interests are going to be different yes. all our like things we're into there are things we connected on we love the same music from the same like time period um so like when he was going to college all the music he listens to are like all the classics that I love like what um he was really into like early 90s hip-hop and so like de la soul all the like rap groups that were really just like kids like his age high school college rapping about life like wanting to be a millionaire one day or like um a girl you're like shy of talking to or something Mm -hmm. like that just those kind of things i really like um like that old school hip-hop kind of thing and that's totally from when he was babysitting me, he would just turn on like MTV raps and like that would be on. And I would like that. And that would be a bonding thing, but he went off to college. So like he wasn't in the picture that much in my household, but Mm -hmm. um, there's my father who um, he's a Jehovah's witness. That's relevant because um, he sort of used the doctrine behind that as his justification for some of his abuse. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what was helping me while that was happening um, was like going on the internet and reading some of those things because when you're... I think people can relate a lot to this with like news. Like You're constantly told, they're the liars. No, they're the liars. And sometimes you see a fact straight out in front of you. And because of all the spin that's around it, and because it's hard to kind of get above that, you start questioning yourself and what you perceive. And a lot of my issues today have to revolve around trust. And the hardest thing was like, and still is to this day, trusting myself and trusting my own intuitions, which are usually pretty, like, spot on. But because for so long, I was basically told, like, hypothetically speaking, 2 plus 2 equals 5. Yeah, you were gaslit. Pretty much. And to this day, like, even this past weekend, still am being gaslit in that sense. But
0: um, if you try really hard, you can still question your intuition at 54. So hang in there. Oh, this, like, this is if gonna be a long it, ride. If I can do it, anybody can do it.
1: That, that's motivating, really. Yeah, should, it is. It is self self help. How to
0: you doubt yourself? Reach for the stars, but you probably will never be able to actually reach
1: them. Fair. Um, and then my mother, um, she has the best intentions for me, but the worst executions. And so, she was aware of that, and like well aware, like was witness to my father's. Verbal, emotional, psychological, physical abuse, but at no time really, di- really mentioned divorcing him. Um, mentioned you, moving
0: out. Did your father just not have the energy to also sexually abuse? Is that why he he left that one out? I truthfully don't think he's like of that type like no, I thankfully, know, just, but you, you, you know cuz he like, said emotionally mentally uh I, I almost way, had I the other physically and Yeah, I was like there's really only one uh, left why not why not go for the, uh, the
1: the quad I mean like punch one more you get a free coffee why right? not <laughs> just go for the gold there but no I I guess I yeah definitely lucked out on that cuz I know so many people who are like survivors of that kind of trauma at a young age and it was just me trying to make a lame joke. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, my mom, I, it just amounted to... I don't want to say emotional negligence, but she's just very cold about the way she deals with emotions with herself and with other people. And I think a lot of that's taught like in at least like American black culture to kind of be muted with your emotions and keep them in. And I've definitely have that to an extent it's very hard for me sometimes to um be on the same emotional level as someone i'm usually very like muted on the outside and it's a rough thing in relationships now um having to tell someone just like trust me when i say that i'm very happy right now it just Mm -hmm. looks like i'm emotionally cold or trust me when i say that like i'm very sad right now I'm just look the same way I do when I told you that I was happy. <laughs> I see that a lot
0: with people who had abusive childhoods. That's just the shell it seems that yeah. that, that forms. Uh, from what I remember of our uh, lost episode, uh, you are not uh, stretching it by saying uh, your mother was emotionally neglectful.
1: Okay, yeah, that's it's it's always every single episode of this podcast. So like many, it's like people who downplay things that any other person would be able to see is obvious. Yeah. And just goes back to that part where the hardest thing was being able to just trust, to this day, still trusting what I see and being able to call things when I see it. Yeah. Especially when it has to do with something personal. I mean, like my parents who, as has happened in other episodes, you have positive memories of them, um, With my father fewer, but they're still positive memories. I know my mother tried very hard to give me the best life possible given the circumstances, but still to this day, I really wish she had just been there for me. I'd rather her be there for me and not try to like move me around as opposed to separate me from the problem and not really address it.
0: Uh, And what Daniel is referring to is when your father got really abusive with you, your mother, instead of leaving him, shipped uh, Daniel off to live with relatives that you really didn't even know that well.
1: Yeah, these are all... I've I've noticed, especially in, like, communities of color, especially with, like, my Mexican friends and, like, the Mexican parts of my family, um, that family's just a very big thing. And you can have people, it's like, oh, that's your, like, father's, like, cousin once removed here, there, like, and that's just... And it's fine. It's still... You can have a conversation with that person. It'll feel like family. But the connections just kind of lose track after a while. And I don't... I'm... And back then, I thought I was like, oh, I'm going on a little trip. Oh, it's fun. And I had fun and enjoyed myself and grew relatively healthily while I was living outside of that. But still, another thing that bothers me to this day is that I have this idea of what a mother and a father should be. And every time I'm like confronted with the fact that they are not that, they never were that, and they never will be that, is still something I have to like work on. And accept because it's so it, hard.
0: It's a hard thing to accept and it and it's not like many, many things, it it in my opinion, not something that can be tucked away intellectually. It just has to be emotionally worked through and grieved. And Great. I have the skills for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh would it be fair to say that your mother's choice in sending you away was largely financial because she was dependent upon your yes. father and um, he made a good living?
1: Yeah. That's why I'm like, and maybe this is me just doing the thing where you apologize for like your parents and like their bad decisions, but definitely I felt like if she had the financial ability, she would have gotten me out of that situation physically with her living somewhere else. Would she have dealt with my emotions? Still probably not. Mm -hmm. But I would have been able to physically be out of that situation just because of the way my family structure was set up where my mother, where my father brought in like a lot of money, um... All of our healthcare coverage, all of our like benefits, living this like pretty like decent middle class, upper middle class life. Um
0: And what did your father do?
1: He was he worked for the school district as like um one of like the administrative people. Okay. Um he moved around a lot based on like his tenure there. But
0: uh if it's not too far to jump ahead, talk about the uh difficult conversation you
1: had with your mother. Yeah. Um so this would have been this last fall I would have been 20 um and this was the winter break I had just come back from Berkeley and it was a really tough semester just I had a lot on my plate um managing events every once in a while like your wonderful panel mm-hmm. um classes my junior year managing all of that um my job um and just a combination of things I guess the overarching story of that to summarize is When you're not in a good emotional state and shit hits the fan, that just breaks you down harder. The resilience is just not there. Yeah, and I was hiding the fact that I was not very like emotionally well, and you were depressed, very, but just hiding it because Mm. I was always very high functioning with my anxiety, with my depression, with everything. I was worn
0: a mask your whole life,
1: exactly, Um, and I'm like in every aspect, like moving to different places or that situation where I'd have to change how quote unquote black I am based on the situation. I'm good at like putting on masks in that sense. And Mm -hmm. so it's just another mask to put on the I'm okay and functioning as a college student mask. Um, But after a semester of that, a couple of really traumatic events happening, just encountering mortality, I guess Um, acquaintances I had that died um, watching like really gruesome things happen like right in front of me. Um, I was covering a protest, and it went onto the freeway. And I saw someone get hit by a car like fifty-five miles per hour, about ten feet from right in front of me. Wow. Um, acquaintances I had died in a fire at like this um like warehouse rave in, in Oakland. Oakland, yeah. yeah. Um, that I that definitely me- would have gone to had I not just like had homework that night that I needed to finish. Yeah, that made national news. Yeah. Um, like those kind of things started happening, and then all that culminated into really. Just giving my depression the extra boost it needed to make me really not want to do anything for a week. Right before my finals week, which is just perfect. Which are so relaxing. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's 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 the equivalent of that cartoon where the dog's sitting and everything's on fire going, this is fine. But I'm just in bed and everything's not fine. But the fact that you're just kind of in bed with not feeling you have, like you have anything to do is sort of freeing.
0: Mm-hmm bed is sometimes the only entity that truly understands us yes the only thing that doesn't ring hollow is laying on a mattress with a pillow yeah and just saying i'm just gonna stay here until i feel like
1: it." i've been up. more emotionally vulnerable with my pillow than i have been with my pants. oh yeah yeah if
0: if you could marry a pillow I would probably be a polygamist. I would, I would have to marry multiple pillows.
1: I planned on making my first dog, Serta. Yeah. Just out of, just in honor of all yeah. the good work done. But no, so, with, my, with my mother, the conversation. Yes. Um, it was after all of that, I realized that everything that had built up, like the anxiety the depression, I had had suicide attempts in my past that I never really talked through with my mother, even though she like definitely knew about them.
0: And but, she didn't really probe you about them.
1: No, she has very much been in the sense of you're standing, you're walking, you're functioning. Cool, that must be good. I wash my hands of that. So a very very practical woman. Yeah, precisely. Like, if there's no extra energy that needs to be Mm -hmm. taken on any sort of thing, she's just ready to move on to the next thing. But I'd realized I had lost all hope with my father and any sort of reconciliation with him. But I still wanted to have this relationship with my mother. And part of what I was going through with that depression was kind of the realization that a lot of it was me wondering, like, fuck, why isn't, why can't I at least have my mother, who I know cares, but just doesn't act like it? And then maybe that's when I realized that my mother is just also, it sounds crazy to say, but my mother is also a person. And she's been through a life and she had her own series of events that led to her marriage and even before that what happened probably with her family. Um, My family, just an aside, because I remember mentioning this, and this is very important, um, in the Magical Lost episode, thanks GarageBand, that the way my family kind of works is in this almost very lawyerly kind of way, where you only say the minimal amount that you need Mm -hmm. to, and you kind of keep information partially just because you don't want it used against you. And partially just because that just becomes the nature.
0: You know how many people listening right now just laughed out loud <laughs> in in recognition of
1: that same thing? If you're out there and you laughed, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and growing up like that, even though I'd live with other people, it's not something someone sits down with you and goes, Hey, you know that thing where you act very loyally and you're very like quiet and you don't speak a lot about your emotions or your feelings for fear they're used against you? Yeah, that's not the normal way people are supposed to interact, especially with your parents.
0: I very much relate to that. And I know that feeling because it feels safe because then we can keep all the things that might feel explosive. We can keep them in check. And the less somebody can judge us, the better. So let's not give them anything.
1: Exactly. And it even extended to regular parts of our life. Like I wouldn't if I got a good grade on a test, I wouldn't even bring that up to my mother, because when she asks, oh, how is school? I just go, good, learn things, it's fine. It's like an uneventful day. Even if it was something good or was something necessarily bad, I was just taught that, no, this is almost like a, a routine you must go through. And you just like stick to the script, and no complexity has to follow.
0: Almost like when you get on the airline, do you have any hazardous materials? Yeah, <laughs> maybe your mom
1: should ask you that when you
0: came home from school.
1: Yeah, I have many hazardous materials. My feelings, son. Did you, son?
0: Did you pack all your uh, your backpack yourself?
1: Yes, my backpack is filled with lots of self loathing yeah. and <laughs> guilt and hatred for everything, and cynicism. Lots of cynicism.
0: Uh, so you've 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 set the table now. Okay. Uh, I feel like for, yeah. or is there something else for the conversation with your mom?
1: No, no, that's pretty much it. As long as yeah. you get like a picture yeah. of her. And so I had this realization that because my mom is this person who has all these different complexities like any other person would, like I do, it's possible that the same kind of like emotional literacy that I'm still struggling with and still kind of grappling with, that, well, she didn't teach it to me. Maybe she just never got that either. And so it's not something you can teach, but I decided that I wanted to have a good relationship with my mother and keep that because we were getting very distant um, just because of the fact I wasn't speaking to my father. I wasn't living at that house anymore. Um, I'd gone to college. That's already a distancing thing. But I didn't have any, I didn't hate her. I didn't have any animosity towards her. And so I drove to um, her job one day. And I basically just told her that I I told her about the semester, how I got into like this depressive sort of state. Um, it really impacted my grades and everything, but I a lot of it had to do with the fact that I have all these unresolved things from my childhood that I haven't gone through that I never even knew going through was even an option. And a lot of that Trauma and a lot of what I didn't address has to do with the fact that you, speaking to my mother, were not very emotionally available. And that's fine. I don't need you to apologize, but I just need you to know that. So that hopefully in the future, when hopefully less severe things happen, but you know, just things like that, that we can have a relationship where I can be emotionally vulnerable to... One of my parents, and she can be emotionally vulnerable in like a healthy way mm-hmm. with me as well, because there was trauma that she went through that I witnessed she was never my, my father was never violent with her, but um there was a moment where talk about like an awfulsome moment or a snap no it's not awfulsome just horrible um but a snapshot from my childhood was when I walked in on my father having an affair with someone and I didn't know what was going on at the time. I didn't really figure it out. But a couple hours later, my mother got home and found out, and that was the most hysterical and emotional I've ever really seen. Just not sadness, but just of anger, mm. and that was something we never discussed. And maybe you sure you don't discuss that with a ten-year-old? That probably wouldn't be healthy. But even as I was older, or or just in a general way, discuss yeah. it
0: with your son, you or know. just
1: discuss in like a appropriate for a 10 or 11 year old kind of way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that would have been nice. But just the fact that she didn't acknowledge things made me second guess what was normal and what was not. Yeah. Because if you don't acknowledge things, you kind of assume they're normal. It's like, Oh, that's just a thing. You don't need to make a big excuse or like a big mess over. It's just something normal that happens. Yeah. Um, but that lack of acknowledgement warped how I viewed life and how I viewed interacting with people and that's something that is like kind of fucking me over to this day
0: well you know I got to commend you on a the insight at your age of seeing your mom as a flawed human being um, but also not using that to say um, well then I shouldn't expect any more of her and I shouldn't express that I would like more of her and then to go do that in a way that was vulnerable um and it's is just really commendable. Really commendable.
1: Thanks. It's, and it's always, like I said, it's always weird because all I did was I just started seeing my mother as a human being. And But you also stood up for yourself. Yeah.
0: Do you think you could have stood up for yourself if you hadn't seen her as a human being?
1: I couldn't have stood up. For, I think I could have because there are many times I stood up for myself, but in unhealthy ways. I would like lash out at her for like, I would say she was to blame for everything, especially right. when I was younger,
0: Which isn't going to sink in then.
1: Yeah, because um, like it's just her talking in anger, and she knows how to handle anger, which is like like, like a lawyer. yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, okay, that's okay. I'll remember that in the future when I use that against you. Yeah. But um yeah, it was learning to be emotionally vulnerable in that way, and also just like having the ability to even do that really came from when I got kicked out ultimately. Um, and having to kind of act in the real world and figure out how normal people deal with things. And that's by ideally talking calmly and like sharing your feelings and working to some kind of consensus or conclusion. Um, But you just don't know those things when nothing else has been shown to you. You
0: don't. And
1: the more I work through emotional
0: things, the more I realize the two most important emotional concepts to understand and utilize is compassion and self-advocacy and trying to find how they can both exist at the same time it's like a it's like a really difficult martini (laughs) when you taste it you know it's right uh but it's really hard to find just that exact mix of it
1: yeah and it's It took so long, and I'm angry that it took so long for me to find that balance, especially because like going back to my interests, like with politics, this is how I this is the way I apply my thinking and my logic and my worldview is through this kind of idea of balance and advocacy and like relatively peaceful like conflict resolution, right? These Mm -hmm. are all basic principles of public policy, right? And these are all things that are like, of course, no shit. But when you apply them to your life, when the stakes are relating to you and mm-hmm. like their actual social consequences, it is, it's a much bigger deal. And it's a much oh, harder yeah. thing to actually accomplish. Oh, it,
0: to- it totally gets fun house mirrored. And it's so hard. It's why support groups are essential because we need the objective input of somebody who has emotional distance from our yeah. problems.
1: Um, Someone who still cares too. Exactly. But like is able to, it's just like in any other, like the second opinion. Yeah. Just someone else getting another outside of your head. Because definitely what I do is I'm very much inside of my head and I'm always thinking and I always worry about the worst possible thing that can happen at any given mm-hmm. time. And when you have a brain like that, it, you just apply that to all aspects of your life. Yep. And it's just horrible. <laughs> And the way
0: that I see that uh, play out in Facebook and politics and stuff like that, the, the people who think, you know, for lack of a better phrase, compassion is for wussies. Um it's so prevalent now. How, how are you going to think the world is going to become a better place if you can't stop confusing your issues with the issues?
1: Right. That's kind of... I guess through my experiences I've sort of changed that how I practice my like Facebook political punditry. Mm-hmm. Is that I try not to look at people I disagree with for like what they look like at face value and I try to get at what are their concerns? What are they worried about? What makes you look at a policy that I might find like take take the idea of open borders in the United States or closed borders, or, like even allowing immigration. Mm-hmm. There are definitely a segment of the population that doesn't want to see immigration of any kind, Mm -hmm. um, legal or illegal. Um, And not even for refugees. And the idea of, for most moral people, like not letting in refugees or not not wanting to help other people, you start to wonder, well, what fears result from that? Are you afraid of, like, refugees or immigrants or people who look different from you? Or are you worried about resources or economics? When you start to get to the reason they have that opinion versus going, oh, you're definitely a xenophobe or you're definitely like a homophobic, even though many of these people like might be. Um, getting to that part makes it a lot more personal. Yes. To make someone feel heard and say, I understand why you might have those concerns because it might affect what you've worked so hard for. Um, too bad that's way too much nuance. I usually just get called a cuck now. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's what. I I did a Facebook
0: post where I tried to say, you know, let's all own our own hypocrisy. Here's some things I'm a hypocrite about. And just immediately somebody else was just, yeah, that's right, you liberals, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God, why do I even try? But you know what? All we can do is keep our side of the street clean. And at the the end of the day that's all we have control over anyway and to me the most patriotic thing that you can do is to work on yourself so that you can become the best person to be around
1: not just even in politics but I think just with personally applying yourself like i'm someone who definitely like i love to help other people i love to be that person who's there for someone when they're going through like a tough time especially when it relates to mental like health because it's an escape from me and just like through this like just like through your podcast just hearing other people's stories i'm able to get that gauge that i didn't really have when i was younger of what's normal what's abnormal i get to see a second opinion of someone who went through something similar that i did and say wait that's fucked up oh wait <laughs> <laughs> and so that that is what has helped a lot too even though i've never had like a formal support group and i've only recently um had a therapist that i'm working really well with um even just being able to have friends and people I could reach out to that absolutely saved my life several times.
0: There's also a really good, uh, post uh, that we put on our website that a, a woman named, uh, Cindy Wolf wrote and it's seven little ways that you can support a friend with depression. And I think it could apply to just about anything because it's about compassion and listening and not trying to fix, right? Uh, somebody, um, Two things. How did your mom react to the conversation? Uh, and then, if unless there's more that you would like to talk about this subject, I'd like to talk about the intra-race racism.
1: Um, my mom reacted really well to that, better than I expected. I had tried to have these conversations at other points in my life, sometimes more angrily than others. But lately, it, before that, I tried to be more peaceful, um, just asking her to like even acknowledge certain things happened. Um, she doesn't even like to acknowledge like the suicide attempts I made and some of them were like really serious. I was hospitalized for one. Um, but she just doesn't like to acknowledge it cause it's just a bad thing that happens. But asking her to acknowledge that I needed help, that I had been through these things and I can't just like, even though on paper, like I got into Berkeley and I have this like promising career afterwards that there's still a lot like i need to work on and and you're hurting yeah and i still need a parent and need someone i can have that relationship with cuz no one can really you can explain as much as you want to but no one will ever really know like how it was like growing up in that household except someone who witnessed it mm-hmm. and someone who partially experienced it and so i will need that and just letting her know that like i want to it to be a two-way street as well because there's definitely things that she's probably got bubbled up i know she does um she reacted positively to that still kind of like cold still very like emotionless in like the way she looked Mm -hmm. but i could tell like within her voice that it really resonated with her and since then there have been like ups and downs we've generally talked to each other more um i'm able to like be more open about things with her um like, to be truthful, I used to never even tell my parents that, like, I even had, like, a dating life or, like, anything like that. I mean, like, my sexual... I'm bisexuals, but, mm-hmm. like, my sexuality is still something I'm not out to them about. Um, My dad probably definitely hate it. Um, My mother would be fine with after a while because she's pretty, like, progressive, I guess. But even, like, straight relationships, I didn't really talk to her about. Now I can, like, talk to her about, like, things with my girlfriend and, like, how i just like spending time with her and like we get along and that's something i could just never do and i think that wow i'm just talking to my mother about like life and that's a new novel thing um that's where progress has been made but still like kind of really having deeper conversations like now we've made to the point where like we can have casual small talk and actually get into details um like past small talk but i still want to get to the point where like i can actually really talk about feelings but I think there's still a part in both of us that just feel, well, at least with me, where I don't feel like that'll be fully validated.
0: It sounds like you're you're giving it a shot, though, without being a doormat who's just going in with no basis in reality of hoping to get
1: yeah. something.
0: Uh, it sounds like uh, there's a chance. No, yeah. Like, it, it, like there is already progress being made. Yeah, I
1: shouldn't expect progress like six, seven months into no. it. I'm like, shouldn't expect like night and day change, but yeah, there's definitely progress, and... A uh, one thing my therapist has said which has really stuck out to me is that like sometimes as you're making progress, it seems like you're taking more steps back than forward. Yeah. Because I, I operate under this like assumption that I've kind of bottled up and forgotten all these things, but as I start to unpack these things and be more vulnerable, those things start coming back.
0: And the rage finally comes out.
1: The rage, the sadness. I yes. up until like the first time we recorded the podcast, I hadn't even remembered the story where like I walked in on my father like cheating. I didn't even remember that. I totally blocked that out. Um, like months ago, like I was in the shower and I got a flashback to a time when like my father would like we got into some like argument or whatever, and then he like got up and started like choking me. Wow, and like. It was very close to where I was, like, really having trouble breathing. And I have asthma, too. So, like, great job, asshole. Yeah. But <laughs> um, I had to block that out, too. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's that process of improving and recovering. But you have to dig under and you get shocked by what you uncover.
0: Yeah. And there's always another layer. Always. It's, you're never done. But the good news is, is that, you know, there...
1: With every layer that you get under, it gets easier to get back up. Because yes. you're like, Well, I've done many of these layers before and so
0: Exactly. And it's just
1: going through the motions. And that. there
0: is a release on the other side of the sadness or the anger. Yeah. There is a light a lightening of the uh the load, as it were.
1: Yeah. So I I wanna preface this with like religion has always had a very like interesting relationship with me. Like my mother is a Baptist Christian, my father's a Jehovah's Witness, I lived with um, Buddhists. I went to a Catholic school for a while. Wow. Um, to <laughs> see why someone gets fucked up. The Catholic school would have been enough, but um, no. There's just a, religion's been a large part of my life, and my extended family has always been very supportive and welcoming. Even to the point where, like, my dad's mom would, who is also a Jehovah's Witness, would be the first to call out my father anytime. He was being verbally or physically abusive to me he would be the she would be the first to shut that down and ridicule him and make him feel bad and he would stop because she would he would listen to his mom and so I went through a lot of phase, especially in like my teenage years where I was very resentful of religion because it was being used as a justification for my abuse but like looking back now, I just realized that there are bad people who do bad things and everyone's looking for a justification for those bad things. And for some people, religion's the closest thing to grab. Perfect way to put it. And so, the reason my grandmother's particularly relevant is because my father had had, and I don't know much about this because the way my, the lawyerly way it all works, but I know my father had some sort of like past where, you know, his life was kind of like unstable. I knew he had like addiction issues. Um, Sometime through his late, Almost before his 30s, he found like the Jehovah's Witness like doctrine and kind of took that on. Um, around that period, when I was like nine, like let's say seven to 12 or whatever, he had like a midlife crisis, I would say, and stopped practicing the decent parts of what he preached as far as how he behaves and how he treats other people. And I was just like being wild again. He was an alcoholic. um he used to take me to the liquor store all the time. To this day, there are these cookies you get at the liquor store that I really enjoy because Mm. I I call it the official cookie of the alcoholic abusive father. (laughs) Because while he's going for the 40, I'm just like going for this little cookie. Yeah, And even made friends with the liquor store people. And it's so demented when I think about it. That was just something I just... Because Jehovah's Witnesses
0: uh, aren't supposed to drink.
1: Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not supposed to partake in any sort of like substances. um, A lot of other things, but... He fell off the wagon then, um, and what really put him back on was um, his mother's like last months kind of being alive. Um, that's when spirituality really kind of kicked in, especially because that was a connection that they had. And actually, there's an interesting moment that I remember the night that she passed away. Um, she was in Northern California. We were in Southern California, and I was on the phone with one of my aunts, the Buddhist aunt. And she said that, yeah, your grandmother Helen, she's probably not going to make it through the night. And I broke the news to my father. And that was the f- first and maybe only time we've ever really cried together. And that's the time I still think I've ever had the most emotional vulnerability with him. Because regardless of what we had with each other, Um, and this is a person who like really hasn't really liked me since birth he'd always compared me to my brother even though how do you compare a two year old to a 20 year old that was just his rationale but we that was a human moment we were sharing like not even memories of her just like things we loved about her and how much she helped in our lives and like that was the only relatable moment we had Mm. and so in the aftermath of that I knew that 'Cause even I was like, Oh, if I lost my mom, I'd be devastated right now. So I did a lot of like taking care of him in a sense. Um, because he had been on this new I'd call it like religious kick, he was adamant about like passing on teachings of the Bible to me and the idea that it would like better my life or better how I'm living my life because, you know, as a twelve year old I was a wreck. Um mm-hmm. I said it kind of jokingly, but yeah, I was like suicidal and like anxious and had eating disorders and all these different things, but they are caused, Once they caused by him, but he didn't help them. Yeah. Um, so he did this thing where like, we're going to do Bible study every Sunday. And um, I was a pretty, at that point, like a pretty staunch, almost militant atheist, I guess, but I was willing to do it because I knew like, this was a way he connected to his mother. And this is a vulnerability thing. And I think he just wants it to, he wants me to have these like principles to apply to my life. And that's what it started as, but it then became this very like routine. This thing must happen um, whenever I ever I ask questions about things that, even though I wasn't being cheeky, things that just like didn't make sense or contradictions I would find in um, their version of the Bible, New World Translation of Holy Scriptures, what's called. Um, he would just react with like anger, um, call me like a devil worshiper. At the in the same breath, he would quote a text. He would quote a passage about how a father is supposed to love his like son and like be great, and then after my line of questioning, go to another passage where he talks about how it is the responsibility of followers of God to like defend God, and if violence has to resort to that, then they must do that as like part of their duty. It, it, In almost it, the same breath, it, it 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 almost sounds like he wasn't
0: doing it as much for your benefit as he was doing it so that he could feel like he was a better quote, servant of God. Oh, precisely. And that you dragging your feet with a question is just making something that is already task-like for him take even
1: longer. Well, it was something he reveled in. It was something he enjoyed. Maybe because it gave him some sort of, like, structure. And, yeah, maybe he's the kind of person who Without structure, he goes into the kind of chaos that he goes mm. into. Um, but yeah, I just didn't like it that much because it was contradictory. Not only some of the stuff he was like saying and teaching, but just his behaviors yeah. compared to the good things he was teaching. And I would call him out on these things. He would just get angrier. It'd resort to violence. My mom started having to be down, like downstairs, watching us wow. do it every single time.
0: The irony is just unreal. Unreal. Yeah.
1: And this was, it got to the point where even in high school, where like, high school's just like middle school light in terms of bullying. I was, school was, it felt safe. I was the kid who like, would hang out in teachers' classrooms until they basically left the school, just because if I could be somewhere that isn't my home, where it's like a war zone almost, it's like nightmarish. Yeah, I still have nightmares of, like, when I'm a kid and I'm, like, locking myself in my bathroom because my dad's, like, banging on the door and saying, like, he's going to beat me or something like that. And that's still, like, I get flashbacks of that sometimes. It's still, like, hard to deal with.
0: It also sounds like school was the one place where you had a chance of being seen. Being seen and
1: discovering more of myself, yeah. Yeah. And getting little bits of normal social interaction. Yeah. Like, with my friends, it was always, like, a normal social interaction. I would, even maybe the only non-normal thing is that I would always resist their, like, oh, we want to go to your house. You have, like, this, like, nice big house and, like, this good neighborhood, Signal Hill, and, like, we want to come. And I just, like, I didn't want them to come to my house because I felt like I was protecting them from my father's wrath. Mm. And I never really talked about the way my parents were because, against that lawyerly way of... Being taught, you just like don't give out that much information, you don't speak that freely about things, and you just say whatever you need to say to avoid deeper conversation. Just make small talk. Um, But yeah, that was just like much the way I lived, and the way that kind of ended was it started when I was thirteen or no, like fourteen or fifteen when my um, grandmother passed, and he had promised that he kept saying like, "Oh, we won't be doing this anymore." But he kept changing his mind, and when I would call him out on changing his mind, he would just get more angry and more violent, and more fights would break out. But eventually he said, okay, when you're 18, you won't have to do this anymore. Because he said, by that point, you'll either understand the scripture and be a loyal servant of God, or you will, like, you just won't, and that's fine, I can't do anything about that. And I was like, huh, this is strangely reasonable, but I'll just duck my head and take it. And so my birthday is coming up, my 18th birthday, and it's the last Sunday before my 18th birthday. And I go, well, this is the last Bible session, right? He's like, no. And I go, you said when I was 18, this could be over. It's like, I did, but I've actually decided that you still are too resistant to these things. So not only are you are going to do Bible study, you're going to come to me to Kingdom Hall, just like church. Um, you're going to do field service, which is the annoying door-knocking thing they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... If you don't do that, I'm going to kick you out. Wow. And, yeah, that was... That, yeah, my birthday is on the first... I'm a a leap child, so I have to think of when my birthday is on any given year. So my birthday would have been on March 1st. That was like February 25th or 6th. And I didn't have a lot of time to really think about this. But I had gotten to that point where I was able to be just free enough outside of my house to realize that I don't want to be the person he's trying to force me into being. Not just the religious aspects, but the like rigid aspects, the like not protesting over my treatment, kind of being tolerant of my abuse, or like hiding aspects of myself. I was sick of that. And so I took the chance and just let him kick me out. And I lived with my grandmother who again, my extended family, they're wonderful. Um they were so supportive. Like, my grandmother gave me her car. Wow. The car that's outside is her car. Because nice. she was like 70, and she's like, she was 79 almost. And she's like, all I just do is just go to the grocery store every two weeks. I don't really use it. I need to use it to get to the other side of town to get to school. And so she's like, just go ahead. And like, every member of my extended family has been so kind and great. And they've, again, like, really saved me. Even my, I found out my counselor, um, like, my college admissions counselor was actually my next-door neighbor. And she was one of the first people I actually told my, like, whole story, too. And it's weird because this is... Like, my neighbors think of my parents as, like, oh, these nice people who live next door, and they have their kids, and they're nice. But then to kind of, like, shatter that mm-hmm. whole facade in front of them, it was... I felt bad doing it. But it was like I didn't know... I thought I was going to be homeless or something. And so, like, even... Realizing that there are people who wanted to help me and were not gonna judge me was amazing. And going to college has been even better. Um there's been growing pains in like learning how to deal with these like social vulnerabilities and being okay with being vulnerable because I still have problems doing that. I don't I still like to keep to myself. Um like even doing podcasts like this is kind of almost me forcing it because it's almost like giving back to something that helped me figure myself out. And I want to do that for someone else. It's awesome. But, and yeah, the worst part of it all was he would do those things where he would use the religion to justify his abuse of me. And of course, I got a resentment of that after a while. But no, I just, now I'm removed enough from the situation to kind of know where that was going from. And the development that happened over the weekend was that I. I had happened to be over my parents' house because I still have keys and I just wanted to use the internet because it's faster (laughs) and um, it's cooler in the house because of air conditioning. And they came home, and one thing my father used to always do was just comment on my appearance. And it was always under the pretext of he was trying to figure out if I was like gay or not, or if I was like, in his words, like a sissy, or when I was going through my most like anorexic phases, like he would either call me fat or skinny. And, like, say, like, oh, I hope you have, don't have one of those, like, sissy eating disorders. Wow. And <laughs> just all of the fun shit. Um, and he did that again. And it, keep in mind, I'm just wearing, like, a tank top and shorts in 90-degree weather in Southern California in a summer in July. So sue me. Mm-hmm. But he still makes this big deal about that. And I just say, like, I just look at him, like, why the fuck does every time I, like, just do something. You don't care about the fact that I got into a great school. You don't care about the fact that, like, my life is fairly together compared to where you were when you were this age. All these things, and all you comment about is my appearance. And he gets mad that I say fuck in his house. And so he's like, if you're going to talk like that, you can leave the house. And I'm like, okay. And <laughs> so I close my laptop and leave. And I just, like, I just kind of, like, lose it as I'm walking out of the house. I start yelling at him for all these things. And he texts me back, literally, Saying that your memory is truly clouded. I never physically abused you.
0: Wow. Because
1: I was yelling about how, like, those things that you did, I haven't forgotten, and I'm not going to forget. And now you're just threatened because I can, like, take care of myself and defend myself. He sounds like a really sick man. <sighs> Such an, he's a narcissist. Yeah. He's, like, a textbook narcissist. And, like I said, the struggle with it is having to untrain what partially he taught me, but partially society teaches you, that like you can have these relationships with your parents, and they're supposed to be people you like, care for, and they're always there for you, and they brought you up, and have your best interest in mind. Like, if he wasn't, like, guilted into financially supporting me in some ways, he hasn't really had my emotional interests in mind very much, except for Mm -hmm. slight occasions. And it sucks having to learn through that and seeing my friends have good relationships with their fathers and share common hobbies and work on things together and knowing that I will never have that. And I really want to. And I've gotten... And like I said, I've had father figures and my uncles and things, but I've never gotten to have that. And reconciling with that fact is still hard, which is why I want to at least have that with my mother. Because if I don't, maybe I'll get over it, but if I
0: you got to at least try. Yeah. you got to at least try. Pretty much. So should we move on to our... On lighter news, yes.
1: (laughs) On our last topic? Yeah. I guess with the intra-race racism, there's an undertone that made finding out my identity worse because from my experience in middle school, that mostly ended in high school, of like, you can't fit in no matter where you are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, There's an episode of Fresh Air with Giancarlo
0: Esposito, uh, who's an actor. Uh, He played Gus in Breaking Bad, and he was in a bunch of Spike Lee movies. And his father's Italian, and his mother's African American. And he talks about his his experience um, in uh, uh, a really interesting uh, perspective, kind of heartbreaking. You can tell he gets really emotional in it, uh, talking about just wanting to be seen for for who he yeah. who he is and um, caught between the, the two worlds in societies kind of uh, um, wanting to make everything binary.
1: Exactly. And it just it grew from the racial thing, which it's just an easy starting point because it's appearance and TV. It's what you see in like media, the representation of these people. It's what you see maybe in where you go up and then it's the person you see. And from that Again, like I just had this warped view of life. I guess I just had this warped view that you always have to be on guard around everyone you're around, and that you, if you want to make things comfortable and easy for yourself, it's best to just be the person that the person in front of you perceiving you wants you to be. Yeah. And so that just extended later on through my life, through like my sexuality i'm still very much do that well i don't know how you like behave bisexual i guess Mm -hmm. but i will oftentimes like not mention it or like try to play up the straight side of it Mm -hmm. just because i know that's easier for more palatable for people even in the lgbtq plus community there's still people who like think bisexuality is just like a joke or like Mm -hmm. people just need to pick one yeah that's where i hear that a lot yeah and i haven't been a victim of much of that, but I've gotten a little bit of it. And it just reinforces that thing I was taught where like even with something is race, it's like you'll never be able to avoid it, people will never be able to understand it, and you'll work yourself up trying to reason. But, yeah, reason, yeah, reason with, with it. it. So it's best to just do that loyally thing where you just like keep things short and try not to make things something that they can be elaborated on.
0: Don't don't share any uh, information unnecessarily.
1: Yeah, and to play into whatever they want to see. So like if they expect me to be more quote unquote urban, then I can do that. If they expect me to be more like quote unquote professional, then I can do that. Mm-hmm. And then taking that to just my sexuality, my interests even. I'll pretend to be and I used to pretend to be interested in things I wasn't just because, well, at least that's fitting in, that's better than being ostracized. <laughs> um but it's just one of those things I've learned now through college, through physically being out of that situation where I'll I'll never forget the feeling I had when I went back to my grandmother's house, like two weeks after I'd gotten kicked out. And like I'd gotten a lot of things together like I was able to pay for insurance for the car I was driving. I was, like, getting, like, paid at another job I was doing. I, was like, had incomes. I felt more financially secure without my parents. And I came home and I just felt the absence of fear and the absence of looking over your shoulder, um, the absence of worrying about a loud voice turning into, like, a, a battle of some kind. Like... If my dad was yelling, and like all of a sudden he got into like a fit, then that could easily turn into like a fight we're having between us, or like one of us is attacking the other, <clears throat> knowing that that wasn't going to happen,
0: that you could just leave,
1: yeah, not not just knowing that like I was at home, the same place I can walk around in my boxers <laughs> and right. not feel fear, and then I realize that this is what normal people feel like, and so I've taken that to other aspects of my life now, and I'm just much more honest about who i am and what i'm interested in and I'm a, lot, I'm a lot more unapologetic yeah about it and the more i do it the more i love it i love being able to say like this is who i am i love being able to be transparent and being one of the few media entities that isn't like accused of like lying all the time yes. and it's also just socially more efficient yeah. You know,
0: if you're upfront about who you are, then the people who judge you, you know right away, so you don't waste time being and friends even with better, that person. It's less work. <laughs> Much less work. It's
1: less work having to read a person to figure out, like, based on little subtleties what they like yes. might prefer more. It's just like listen, this is me. My personality is a social filter. If you are talking to me and you're sick of it, then I would probably be like sick of you too. I wouldn't want to like constantly try to please you. But if like I'm myself around you and you're yourself around me and we can have a friendship around that. It's a friendship based on actual real things. Yeah. Or it's a relationship built based on transparency and being your true self in front of a person. Yeah. And it's still something I struggle with because if you can't trust your own lying eyes and you're told that every bad thing that happens to you, the abuse, like the like hitting, any of that stuff is something you deserve for whatever reason and it's not abuse it's just like discipline or something like that having to come out of that environment to one where no what you see and what you recognize as bad or what you recognize as good actually is it's so empowering in itself and I look back and I think a lot of comedians say this or like they are they fear that if they had a normal childhood they yeah. wouldn't have been as interesting yeah I yeah i would have loved to not go through so many suicide attempts and not (laughs) go through so much abuse i would love to be less interesting (laughs) but at the same time i love my resilience through it and i love that i was able to kind of struggle through some of these things so that now i can come out of it with a better perspective and a better understanding i don't have some sort of false sense that like life is always fair like that bad things always happen to bad people and only good things happen to good people. Sometimes you just get a shitty roll of the dice and like bad things happen through no fault of your own. And it's not like it's a universally, oh, well, you can just get back up and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and it'll all be great. No, it's fucking hard work. But... And, the, and honestly... You can get the, through it. You,
0: you can't ever really judge what the roll of the dice was because one thing always leads to another thing leads to another thing. You yeah. To judge anything... To really truly judge anything, um, you're judging something midway or.
1: Yeah, and you're judging something without really understanding all the ramifications or everything that went into it. And so I almost read it as almost too economical. Mm-hmm. You're given these situations, you're given these parameters and these constraints. What can you make out of it that is fruitful? What can you make out of it that's good? It's awesome. And. Yeah, I, I guess that's just how I'm trying to live my life right now, and it's, it's the most freeing way I've lived my life ever.
0: It's, it's great. It's a perfect way to look at it, um, because then you can also take it less personally, and and you can use everything as an opportunity to grow and learn, as yeah. long as you don't stuff the feelings down and avoid acknowledging them.
1: Yeah, and there's still like a help. I'm I'm not there's still unhealthy ways I sometimes handle my, like, emotions. Like, if I'm angry, the world knows. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm, if I'm having a bad day, like, it'll just be very apparent. If someone, like, does me wrong, they will, they will know. Like, a usual, like, I'm walking on the sidewalk and someone, like, brushes me against the shoulder and I go, um, whatever. We'll go into a, watch where you're walking, asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's stuff I still need to work on. And kind of just the kind of fear and distrust i have in other people where i'm always kind of i find that i'm a lot more comfortable if i feel that someone is going to screw me over i'm comfortable knowing that they might be doing that rather than someone with genuine intentions just trying to help me right because i know how to handle myself and just like cocoon myself and be in everything all for myself and kind of like be a loner in that sense if I know that. Yeah. The but having first, to, mm-hmm. to let other people in and like be a team with other people is still something i struggle with, but it's still something that i really want to work on. And I know that I, yeah, for the first time ever, I'm confident in saying I can.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for, uh, for coming and sharing your life with us. Thank you. And if you guys are interested in finding support around experiences related to being a Jehovah's witness or having loved ones uh, who were Jehovah's witnesses, there is a website called thisjwlife.com, and there's also an accompanying podcast uh, to it, but uh, check it out because people post their stories there, and the host of the podcast is uh, an ex-member of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Today's episode is sponsored by Bayes, uh If you've been wanting to take a more personalized approach to health by finding which vitamins and nutrients you need, then Bayes is for you. Uh, I'm sure you guys are like me. You know, you have days when you're kind of run down and you wonder, you know, am I not eating right? Am I lacking vitamins or minerals? Well, the cool thing about Bayes is you can check your blood right in the convenience of your own home. You send the sample. To them, all the stuff comes in a in a box, it's all prepaid, prepackaged, it's super simple, it's all laid out, it's convenient, and then they will do the testing for you and they will suggest a regimen of vitamins and or supplements that they think will be best for you. And then you can control your progress by retesting every three months if you'd like. Uh, lifestyle changes, seasonality, and how your body responds allows Bayes to dynamically adjust to your needs. Their uh, diagnostics platform creates individual recommendations that are reviewed and checked by their team of nutritionists and delivered directly to your door. So right now, Bayes is offering 20% off your first purchase on one of their products. This includes the Impact Package, giving you the full experience in three months of vitamins, the personalized vitamin subscription, or a nutrient test kit. So go to Bayes.com and use promo code MENTAL for 20% off. Invest in your personal health today and feel the benefits at com, and use promo code MENTAL. I want to tell you guys about a podcast that I've been on several times and uh, the host, uh, Kevin Allison, has been a guest on this podcast as well. It's called Risk. Uh, if you have never checked it out, it's really cool. If you love radically honest True Stories you will dig the Risk podcast. Uh I've shared a couple of heavy things from from my life on there. Uh it's a it's a show where people tell stories that they never thought that they would share publicly. Uh s- stories that are too uncensored for public radio, uh, but nothing is too intimate or too loaded and sometimes the stories are hilarious, sometimes they're scary, and sometimes they're truly beautiful. I like the one about the guy who got kidnapped by a drug cartel, or the girl who discovered she was living with a cannibal, or the woman who learned the person she was sharing kinky fantasies with online was actually her dad. These stories are told with so much compassion and emotional intelligence it's inspiring. So find it all at riskshow.com. That's risk-show.com. Or just search on your podcast app for R-I-S-K exclamation point. Or again, risk-show.com. Let's read some surveys. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself white chocolate. He is, that's the name I danced under in the late to mid-80s. He uh, is straight in his 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I would say it definitely counts. He writes, I was taken advantage of by a much older male when I was 15 or 16. He was in his 50s. He made me sleep in a tent and put his hands down my pants while I was trying to sleep. I never reported it. I blocked it out. But after these memories coming to surface again, I cannot get it out of my mind. I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, symptoms of BPD, and generalized anxiety disorder. And I feel as though this experience has caused my interpersonal relationships to be completely fucked. Uh, He has been emotionally abused. He writes, the same guy over months and months emotionally manipulated me and lulled me into a false sense of security and did what I explained in the previous paragraph. I hope I never see this man again. I won't be able to be accountable for my actions. Darkest thoughts. I'm a straight male, but fantasize about being fucked by a guy. Darkest secrets. I was convinced when I was around 10, uh, 10 years old, by an older guy to fool around with him sexually. I feel as though I had no idea what it meant at that age and I was completely took advantage of being so young. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want a girl to fuck me with a strap on and completely being in control of the entire situation. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to that all I want is to be loved completely and utterly, not for how I act but the person I am, not having to try or act like a different person just so someone feels as though they like me. What, if anything, do you wish for to just be totally and completely, truly happy and content? Have you shared these things with others? I told my mom about the abuse and went terribly. She didn't really take it on board and it hasn't been spoken about since, even though all I want to do is open up to her and be given a hug and be told everything will be okay. You know, you... you, wrote you describe your your the environment you were raised in as slightly dysfunctional well a parent responding to their child letting them know that such horrible things happen to them and the parent almost not even reacting that's more than slightly dysfunctional that that's emotional deprivation that's neglect. You know, a child is supposed to feel protected, not judged by a parent. And, and, and I'm not making a moral judgment on your mom. It's just she didn't have the tools, doesn't know how, or didn't want to. How do you feel after writing these things down, like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders?, well, I'm glad you feel better after after sharing that, and I really hope you find a way to process what happened to you and because you can find that unconditional love that you're that you're looking for. I was able to find it in my life, and I very, very much relate to what you shared um just that feeling of just wanting to collapse. And and have somebody, you know, metaphorically catch me, hold me. Tell me it's gonna be okay. I found that in, in support groups and therapy. This is a, thank you for, for sharing that by the way. It really moved me. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Murph. She writes, I have strong feelings for a co-worker. He's married and I would never act on them, but I think about him constantly. Today, he thanked me and told me that having a friend as thoughtful and as open as me, in parentheses, little does he know, has made him a better partner and husband to his wife. Awfulsome. Yes, that is awfulsome. Thank, thank you for sharing that. This is a shame and secret survey. And if you guys have never filled out surveys, please go to our website, metalpod.com. There's about a dozen different surveys that you can fill out. The shame and secret survey, the awful some moments survey, happy moments. Um, There's a bunch, bunch of different ones. And they're all completely anonymous. We don't even collect the IP address of whoever it is that's filling them out. Uh, This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a trans man who calls himself blue. He identifies as pansexual, As in his 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. From the time I was 12 or 13, I consented to sexual relationships online with men most who were around the ages of 17 to mid-20s. And at the time, I didn't think much of it, but when my parents found out, I was immediately blamed and shamed and punished for, quote, what I did. Wow, what a classic example of the exact opposite of what that child needs in that moment. It was a huge journey to come to terms with what happened and realize that, one, I was taken advantage of by these men who were old enough to know that what they were doing was wrong, and two, my parents should have supported and loved me and expended energy on finding out why I was in that situation in the first place, instead of demanding to know why I was a, quote, whore and, quote, disgusting Jesus Christ. I later learned that my sister went through a similar experience with the shaming and punishment when she was caught watching porn in middle school because of the way my parents reacted Uh, to what I think now was my sexual abuse I had a huge difficulty trying to maintain a healthy sex life. I was either throwing myself into more sexually dangerous situations or feeling overwhelmed with guilt and shame at the idea of sex, usually both at once. And I'm working through recovery now with loving partners who have helped me understand that it's okay to create sexual boundaries. It's okay for me to talk openly about my sexual abuse and it's okay for me to want to want sex He has also been emotionally abused. My mom is an alcoholic, and I always had to take care of her when she was drunk, which was consistently every day after four and sometimes earlier. My father was often angry and bitter, especially when I was younger, and he would often lash out at my mother and I. I've been far more willing to forgive my mom because I realize she has an addiction and a lot of mental health problems, and she's a troubled woman. While this doesn't excuse her behavior, it makes me more understanding of it. My father, on the other hand, has no excuse. Or reasoning that I can begin to understand. So t- sometimes I'm still angry at him for what happened. Uh, I'm not excusing your father's behavior at all, but I, I I would like to suggest that the person who marries the alcoholic, the person who chooses the addict as a partner, is suffering from a sickness as well. That person has usually been affected by alcoholism in their upbringing. You know, maybe a parent. Um, or or somebody in their life and that alcoholic they choose represents something familiar to them a script that they know their part in and it's not conscious but the 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 loved one of the alcoholic is very often battling demons and sicknesses and a lack of perspective uh, as serious as the person battling alcohol or drugs and there's some great books on stuff like like that and some great support groups around that too some great 12 step uh, support groups for codependence and uh, yeah. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yeah, sometimes I think that because I have positive memories with my father, he couldn't have possibly been as angry or mean to me as I remember. What are your darkest thoughts? I sometimes still think that I'll hurt kids or become an abuser myself because I was abused and hurt as a kid. Darkest secrets. I consented to sexual conversations and relationships with significantly older men online when I was a kid, and sometimes I still believe that the consent made it my fault. what are the sexual fantasies most powerful to you? My fantasies are about being hurt again or being taken advantage of in dynamics that mimic the predatory online relationships I was in as a child. It's honestly a relief to share this finally. And it's so common. It is so common for that to be one of the ways that it affects somebody's uh, sexuality. And it's the, the brain's way of trying to protect what if anything do you wish for i wish that i could fully medically transition have you shared these things with others i've shared a few things with my closest friend but nothing in detail she was loving and supportive and it really helped me on my way to recovery how do you feel after writing these things down i feel a little nervous about how they'll be received but i'm honestly so relieved to finally talk about it completely openly well, I want to give you a fucking high five. Um uh, because your survey really moved me and you sound like a great guy and you're working through a lot of stuff, man. You're working through a lot of stuff. You were you were raised in emotional deprivation and then to have trauma on top of that and then you know to to be trans throw all those things in, that's a lot to to work through. And you sound like you got a really really good heart. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experience? It's okay to feel ashamed about your abuse and it's possible to work through those feelings. It's okay to feel like your abuse was your fault, but also know that it wasn't and that recovery is a journey, but always possible. You know, one of my friends quoted his therapist uh, last night. His therapist said to him, there's a difference between having knowledge of your trauma and healing your trauma. And that having knowledge of your trauma is the beginning of healing your trauma. And for the latter, we need human connection and support and unconditional love. I know, I know personally I did, and it made a huge difference in my life. It helped me heal. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself technical girl genius, and she writes, "Uh, I've been going through some tough times lately and my therapist suggested I go to an intensive outpatient facility. My happy moments came through the process of informing people at my workplace what was going to happen. The HR lady assured me that our company doesn't have stringent policies regarding the use of sick time and that I will be fully supported by the company to attend this week-long program. Knowing that I wouldn't lose my job, would get paid to attend a mental health program, and that the health insurance will be covering the cost of the program was enough to have me skipping with glee on my way back to work. I know the program will be hard, and I will have to work hard to implement what I learned there, but a weight is lifted off my shoulders knowing I don't have to worry about anything else except getting better. The next happy moment came when I told my supervisor slash boss that I wouldn't be here next week and we spent nearly two hours talking about our mental health and how he has a panic disorder that developed in high school and due to his age, 51, and gender, he didn't get the kind of help I get to have now and he's proud of me. I know you don't need to tell your place of employment about why you're sick or what kind of mental health problems you're seeking help for, but I felt comfortable sharing it with him. I just enjoyed getting to talk to someone, someone I consider a friend about what has happened to me, and I didn't even have to do work, exclamation point. Thank you for that. Uh, that you know, when I read a moment like that, I think I think to myself, one Yay, and two, if we had that kind of support widespread in our country, it would be interesting to see the effect it would have on all of these shootings, the cycles of abuse that we see happening from generation to generation, addiction, just the politeness of people on the road. Well, let's not go that far. Any comments to make the podcast better, please re-upload the backlogs. There's a massive trove of content and help that is lost to the wind unless you share them again. Think of the newer fans who will get to hear that content. You know, this was something that I really struggled with, and I I didn't want to have to remove uh, that back catalog, but the reason that I did it is because... I I have been f- a couple of reasons um but the most important one for me is to protect my mental health and it by having those backlog episodes when I need a mental break like I did in July and I took 4 weeks off because those aren't available to the public I was a- and they were you know what 7 years old i was able to re-release them as a best of episode and that gave me time away from the podcast which i've been finding that that i need lately and i don't know if i'm just going through something or if it's just the wear and tear of of doing this podcast for 8 years and reading the heavy emails and surveys and interviews that i do but uh, that's the biggest reason why uh, i I do that because those those will be there to to post when when I need breaks, and um I hope that makes sense, and if it doesn't, I'm okay with that. He said hoping hoping that he would believe himself. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself crying candy. She writes this last week, my best friend got married at our alma mater, and I was her maid of honor. We were doing photo shoots around campus when they found this semi-woodsy area. They wanted to do some shots right underneath the exact same tree I was raped under by the groom's freshman year roommate. I never told anybody about it, not even my best friend. I held it together for about two minutes before I started crying. Everyone assumed I was crying happy tears, so the bride came over to hug me, and the photographers started capturing Every single moment. I knew my favorite professor happened to be on campus that day, so I texted him. We have developed something of a friendship since I've left, and asked if I could sit in his office. So I went to his office and cried, still in my maid-of-honor dress, and he let me eat some of his in-case-of-emergency candy he keeps hidden in his desk. He didn't ask questions, and after I calmed down, he brought up an inside joke that we had in one of our classes. It was exactly what I needed. Thank you so much for that. That is, that is, wow. What an image that is of that photo shoot. Fuck, that's so intense. That is so intense. I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to fill that out. And then finally, this is, uh, an awful some moment filled out by a non-binary person who refers to themselves as my gender is T-Rex. And they write, I had one of the bravest moments of my life, sending a coworker an email in order to preserve my own comfort and sense of safety. Long story short, this was an adult man who is very genuine and fun to interact with, but he sometimes emphasizes his interactions with physical touch, i.e. a hand on the shoulder only ever encouraging and never sexual. Even though my heart often feels and appreciates the warmth of these moments, my brain and body feel like we're being attacked. And in the aftermath of these moments, I would be in an internal war, feeling so stupid I couldn't say, I couldn't just say something, and feeling hurt that I hadn't prioritized myself. I had also done so much work to not be hypervigilant as a part of my recovery from a sexual assault, and I could feel this undoing my progress. I felt like if I was just paying enough attention, I could avoid the situation without having to advocate for myself, but I physically could not say it to his face. I worked in this job for almost a year and a half before I got up the courage to send him the following email with the subject line, Favor. I have a low-key favor to ask that I keep putting off because I really, really don't like casual touches, but I don't like telling people this because I like to control, control how people perceive me, especially at work, and I like that we're friends, but can we fist bump to show camaraderie instead? It would be the best. Also not a huge fan of Hey Girl. Can I get a bro or a dude instead? Yay, awesome. Let's never mention this email in person. I'm sharing this awful, awfulsome moment because rereading that email is frankly mortifying. I am so incredibly proud of my progress yet horrified at how it reads. I am not someone who hedges my statements like that. I'm well-spoken, opinionated, clever, quick, strong. I don't beg people for quote favors that should be givens. So why is it so impossible for me to ask for my own comfort like I'm entitled to it? The answer is because progress takes a while, and this is what it looks like. I am so proud of myself for establishing a boundary with someone whose opinion I cared about, i.e., with someone I work with. I'm also not out as non-binary at work, and I found a way to ask this man to stop addressing me with Hey Girl without, quote, coming out as non-binary. This story should have ended there. But the next morning, we were in the same elevator, and as he was leaving for his floor, he did this jokey thing where he fainted in and out of saying, "Ah, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to touch you. It was exactly like one kid showing his friends a worm and pretending he's going to touch him with it. I was incredibly hurt. From his email reply, I thought we were 100% on the same page. This person is intelligent enough to have figured out that if someone doesn't want to be touched and is clearly ashamed about it and took a long time to speak out in a way that seems very out of character for that person, then maybe their request isn't a fucking joke. Now I'm building up the courage to have another talk with him and say, that made me feel unsafe and I think you're smart enough to have figured that out on your own. Until then, I know that this person's growth isn't my problem, because I didn't speak up to this person for their benefit, I did it for me. and Even though I'm still in a place where I feel like I have to mask those boundaries as me asking a favor or with modifying words, I am working together with all the people in my head and my heart to focus my energy on myself. Here's to feeling entitled to your own sense of emotional, physical, and psychological safety. Thank you so much for that. This is such an important topic and such a great example of the complexity of balancing advocating for ourselves with not wanting to make other people uncomfortable. And for people pleasers, man, that can be a real hell. And you... you. Exemplified the discomfort of walking through something that is not gonna kill you, but is so anxiety ridden that I'm I'm just uh I'm so glad you filled this out. It is so hard sometimes to find the words. We're so afraid. That we're going to be selfish for just wanting to feel safe. Yeah. I think one of the best tools for me has been letting go of what other people think about me. And I still struggle with it constantly. Every time I sit down to record an episode, I'm faced with it because I want everything to be perfect. I want to be everything to everybody. And that's I know that's impossible, but I can intellectually understand that that's impossible, but the emotional part of my brain feels like I need everybody on my side if I am to survive. And it sounds crazy when I say that out loud, but it's a feeling that's in my chest. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. And I think that's why I was so moved by your your survey. So thank you for taking the time to fill that out. And thank you guys for listening. I hope you you dug this episode. and uh, And if not... Uh, I will, I will never be the same. I was going to say I'll be okay, but that's not true. I will never be the same. You will have taken a part of me. You will have, have taken the pearl from the oyster of my soul and flung it into the sewer on a rainy day. Oh anyway I hope you liked this episode and if you're out there and you're feeling stuck you're not alone you are so not alone and thanks for listening
1: everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful everybody fucked up I know weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird bizarrely way bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up in some weird